talking crime, cases, and backing the blue. Now, here are your hosts, Captain Ed Mamet and Detective Kevin Schroeder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cop Talk. My name is Kevin Schroeder, retired MIPD detective, and my co-host today, retired Captain Ed Mamet, is somewhere patrolling. Not sure where. Uh, he may have went over to Israel to help out. I'm really not sure where he is right now, but I'm sure we'll hear from him on our next episode. With that said, my co-host today filling in will be Joe Diamond, our executive producer. Joe, say hello. Hey, everyone. Today's today's guest is Betsy Brantner-Smith. Betsy is the National Police Association spokesperson. Welcome, Sergeant Betsy Smith. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be with you guys. So, Betsy, you're a 30-year law enforcement veteran, retired in 2009, supervised the Crime Prevention Unit, Field Training Sergeant, supervised K-9 Unit, crowd control bike team leader, served on crisis intervention teams. Uh, anything else you've done? <laughs> yeah. Welcome. <laughs> I had a terrific 29-year uh, career. Um, and... Uh, I served in a, a community that really appreciated the uh, law enforcement. And I served on a task force where I got to do quite a bit of work in the city of Chicago and, and uh, around the region. So um, for a farm kid from Northern Illinois, it was quite a career. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like a career. Now, uh, how many years did you do? I did uh, 29 years on the job and I had a parallel career to my police career where I was a writer and then a, a trainer. I got some national level attention. And uh, so when I retired off the job in 2009, I continued my training career and uh, I have trained in, uh, I think, five different countries. I've trained people from 80 different countries, um, everything from leadership to officer survival and uh, and I continue to do that in addition to uh, my primary focus, which is being the spokesman for the National Police Association. So, Betsy, tell our audience, uh, tell us about the NPA's history and mission. So the National Police Association is a it's a charity. It's not, you know, it sounds like a kind of like a union or an association. It's actually a charity that was founded. After the uh, 2000 war, 2014 war on cops began, um, and what we do is we bring national attention to the anti-police efforts that are out there that are challenging effective law enforcement. So we have we do mailings. We have a fantastic newsletter that people can sign up for if they go to nationalpolice.org. Um, we have national TV and radio spots. I have a, a national uh, television show on cable and on streaming. We do legal filings on behalf of police officers or agencies. We have a ton of original articles that are on our website. We publish books. We have a podcast and uh, we we get involved in uh, helping, especially smaller agencies who, for example, you know, you talk about canine a lot of um, smaller police departments can't afford body armor for their canines. So we'll do a grant and buy a canine of us, or we'll help an a small agency start a, uh, a, an explorer program. Um, it's just a really, really terrific organization that is out there trying to fight that false narrative that somehow it's American law enforcement. That's the problem. 
Right. Totally understood. Uh, Betsy, is there an update on the Doe versus Mekison uh, case? Mekison? So, uh, DeRay McKesson, if you're not familiar with him, he uh, you can find him on uh, Twitter on X now at D-E-R-A-Y. Now, he's blocked me since about 2014, and he'll block anyone who jumps on there uh, to dispute what he has to say. But um, there's been no update in that case as of recently. The, the case basically involves... Um, DeRay, who was a Black Lives Matter activist, uh, a, a uh, an anonymous police officer, sued him um, because he is trying to, and he actively talks about this on his social media, he actively tries to get law enforcement officers hurt in so many of these protests. And as we know, uh, we had uh, at least 260 violent protests in uh, 2020 and on into 2021, but all anybody wants to talk about uh, is what happened right. on January 6th. So there have been no updates, but DeRay McKesson right, right now um, has switched his focus to uh, apparently fighting Donald Trump and also trying to prop up Hamas. And that's what Black Lives Matter is doing right now, is they are putting out pro-Hamas, pro-Hezbollah, in other words, pro-terrorist um, propaganda now as Israel uh, continues to fight the war that was started against them on October 7th. Right, right. And, and is any other big cases in the pipeline you're working on? Well, uh, the National Police Association, we were the first organization that sued to get the Covenant School Shooter Manifesto released to the public. If everyone recalls, uh, we had uh, several people were murdered by a transgender, uh, she's a woman, a mentally ill woman who apparently believes she is a man. Um, and uh, she went into the Nashville Covenant School, um, murdered several people, including a child. And she, uh, law enforcement found this uh, huge manifesto in addition to uh, weapons and things like that. And uh they would not release the manifesto and the national police association was the first of several groups who sued the national police department um, to release this manifesto. National PD turned over that manifesto to the FBI, to the Biden administration and the FBI is refusing to release it. So we have to wonder what is in that manifesto and what what we have heard is that it is so incredibly violent and and makes trans activism um, look so incredibly violent that the FBI does not want it to release uh, to does not want that release. So we've got that going on. We also sued. Uh, we filed a FOIA request, uh, multiple FOIA requests, and sued the Biden administration because, if everyone recalls, uh, Joe Biden, um, Kamala Harris, and other politicians wrongly accused um, Border Patrol agents uh, mount who were doing mounted patrol of, quote-unquote, whipping 
Haitian migrants. There was an investigation. It was determined that not only were those Border Patrol agents not whipping the migrants, indeed, these Haitian migrants were trying to harm the agents and their horses. What we were just simply trying to do was get the correspondence between uh, the White House, Secretary Mayorkas, Border Patrol uh, uh, management, and uh, to see if this persecution, if you will, of these Border Patrol agents was political in nature. And uh, and so we're still working on that case as well. So that's what the National Police Association does. We we get involved, we'll file amicus briefs, FOIA requests um, to try and support not just law enforcement, but also pro-law enforcement citizens who have an interest in discovering what's really happening behind the scenes. So Betsy, let's go back a bit. What, what inspired you to become a cop? Everybody always asks that question, right? Everybody, every cop in the yeah, world gets of course, that question. Of course. <laughs> and of course. Uh, it's funny because, you know, when you, when you answer that question, when you're doing your initial interviews, you know, when I was a 21 year old college student and I'm interviewing to be a cop, it's always, oh, I want to help people. I want to give back to my community. All those answers. Um, the reality uh, was as a farm kid growing up in the uh, in the 60s and into the 70s, I uh, watched a lot of TV. And in the 70s, it was uh, cop uh, cop shows and doctor shows. And these uh, angels. And I, oh yeah, I'm even and Charlie's Angels for sure, but I'm even before Charlie's Angels. Okay. Angie Dickinson, Policewoman, Adam oh, Twelve, yeah. um, shows like Hush, that, yeah. and and so uh, I wanted to be an <laughs> I wanted to be an L.A. cop, right? Streets of San Francisco, you know, all those shows. Michael, I remember that show, Michael Douglas, exactly. Yeah. Paul Malden. <laughs> And uh, so that's what I thought, you know, I wanted to be. And as a, you know, as a woman, um, you know, you didn't see many women cops in real life. And uh, so when I, I was two weeks out of college and I find myself in the Chicago suburbs and uh, in the Cook County Sheriff's Police Academy. So it was a big shocker. But uh, I uh, I still to this day, even with everything that's happening, um, I, I constantly talk to young people and tell them this is such a great job. It's a great career uh, because you never have the same day twice. Very true. Very true. I, I would. I'm. I'm not a cop. I'm a civilian. Obviously, a big uh, law enforcement supporter. But I would think that most cops, at one point or another, it was a movie or it was a TV show. I would think that that's probably the common link. You know, something they saw as a kid, and they're like, "Oh, wow, I can." I can do this in real life. You know, I can I can be a hero in real life. Um, let me ask you, how did you get involved with the National Police Association? So I um, I have written for uh, virtually every large police website that's out there and um, trained for a couple of big name companies. We own our own training company now. And um but uh, I started writing for the National Police Association they, because they just have these incredible, uh, these incredible authors and they put out constant new material. And uh, so I got asked to in uh, 
July of 2020, there was a, a case in California that the National Police Association got involved with. It was um, a case where Black Lives Matter activists got permission from the city of, I believe it was San Jose, um, got permission to paint on the street in front of City Hall these 32-foot high uh, letters spelling out Black Lives Matter. One of the letters was a depiction of a terrorist, a cop murderer named Asada Shakur. And so the National Police Association saw that and they said, this is a hostile work environment that working cops have to walk by a a an artist's rendering of a cop killer, convicted cop killer, every day. So they got involved in that um, case and they asked me to speak to the media about it. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll do that. You know? And so this is during the pandemic. So it's a, it's a, it's a zoom situation. And uh, I didn't know that much about zoom at that time. And uh, so I did the interview and then I got asked to do another interview. And uh, then they contacted me and said, Hey, how would you like to be our spokesman? And I said, yeah, I love TV and I love to talk. And uh, so I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And the, the thing is, I think one of the reasons that that they were attracted to me and I was attracted to this position is I'm basically uncancelable. I uh, am retired, you know, because people when I started talking, because back then, you know, in 2020, I was spending a lot of time talking to um, Black Lives Matter activists, Antifa, you know, they the cable news likes to pit you against people. And uh, so my board chief, where I, ha again, I haven't worked there since 2009 and I don't live there anymore, but my poor chief's getting phone calls from people saying, you know, you need to fire. Why is this sergeant doing that? You know, and I make it very clear that uh, I'm retired. <laughs> and uh, then they started calling the training company that uh, I I'm affiliated with. Well, guess who owns the training company? Oh, that would be me. I'm the sole owner. And... Uh, <laughs> So right. I got attacked on social media. We got, I, you know, I, I we got attacked, um, you know, via the telephone, you know, all, all kinds of stuff. We had to fortify our home. And uh, but uh, but I kept moving forward. And uh, it's been a really, really wonderful three and a half years because it's a great organization that I believe in. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. I see. I, I think as every cop and every activist knows, you're really not doing anything in this world until you start making enemies. So, you know, I know that's so true. I, yeah. I, uh, there's a great piece of video on our website where I am, um, I'm on, uh, it's either BBC or Russia today where I'm, I'm debating. And I didn't know I was going to be doing it. I'm debating some Black Lives Matter activists. Uh, who um, wanted to talk about the Breonna Taylor case. And he had 
every single fact about the Brianna Taylor case wrong. I mean, the only thing he had right was her name. And, uh, well, I'll tell you, it, it got incredibly frustrating, but I'm grateful for that opportunity to get to set the record straight. And I talked to, cause I'm still an active police trainer out there. Um, I talk to just hundreds and hundreds of cops every year who say, boy, Sarge, it's so nice to turn on the news and see somebody uh, supporting us and speaking our language and standing up for us. Yeah, Betsy, you know, I think every city, state and even federal agencies have this issue right now. But what is your opinion on how do we address the crisis in recruitment, retention and and morale uh, throughout the country in law enforcement? Well, that's a great question because, you know, the uh, Department of Justice just it's the Bureau of Justice, Justice Assistance and the cops office. So it ultimately comes from the DOJ just came out with this big report that they've been working on since April um, about how to recruit and retain more cops. And uh, when you read the report, um, basically, uh, there's a quote from Merrick Garland where he talks about all these lofty things that we need to do. You know, we need to uh, engage the community and this and that. In other words, all the things that we've been doing since the 70s. Um, What that report really failed to talk about was the need for police leadership and for politicians to stand up unequivocally and and verbalize their support for the American law enforcement officer. That is the one thing that we are still lacking. I mean, you're seeing right now a a a change in the rhetoric from even defund the police. Uh, mayors like uh, Mayor London Breed are saying, you know, oh, we've got to we've got to start holding up, you know, lifting up the American law enforcement officer, um, but there's still not enough strong talk denouncing the people who have spent the last three years demonizing and vilifying the American law enforcement officer. So until we have politicians, police leaders, and the media doing everything they can to denounce all the prior rhetoric that somehow law enforcement is the problem, I don't think you're going to see a significant change in the recruiting and retention, uh, retaining of uh, law enforcement officers. Yeah, I agree. Good luck with that. But, uh, you know, that, that brings me to my next question. How do we get the public more involved in, with supporting law enforcement? Well, you know what? That's a that's another great question. And again, that's why the National Police Association exists. People can go to our website, nationalpolice.org, and see some of the many pro-police programs we have that citizens can do at a local level. You can donate to our association, and but you can also see some of the suggestions that we have on our website. One of the great things we have right now is we have a mobile billboard that is traveling this country. We were just in Manhattan a couple of weeks ago. Um, and then earlier this week, we we're in Phoenix, Arizona. And it's a it's a mobile billboard that uh, that basically highlights the heroic nature of police officers. And then law enforcement 
needs to, first of all, continue to do what we've always done, which is engage in community policing. But what I want people to understand is when your police department is is uh, defunded, in other words, and most police departments were, when money was taken out of pe- uh, police department's budgets uh, three years ago and two years ago, um, and cops started to leave this job, one of the first programs to be eliminated is community policing. So we need, you know, we need community policing to continue to garner support. So again, I go back to police leadership. There's a big divide in law enforcement between the managers and leaders in our agencies and the boots on the ground cops. This And this is, it's less so in sheriff's departments. Sheriffs, because they're elected by the people, um, tend to be more pro boots on the ground cops. But we have uh, seen since 2014, and especially since uh, 2020, we have seen so many police uh, chiefs and police leaders who were doing absurd things. I mean, you know, the, it, you know, you saw this in New York and L.A. and Chicago, literally laying down uh, in front of Black Lives Matter protesters. One of the things that police leaders could do right now to help uh, boost morale and also show the public that they are behind uh, their cops and behind uh, the criminal justice system is to denounce organizations like the Black Lives Matter Global Action Network. They they have been exposed as what they have always been, which is just a Marxist grift whose goal is not to uplift African-Americans in this country. It is to enrich a few. And now, as we are seeing since October 7th, to support terrorism in this country and around the world. Black Lives Matter Chicago, you know, posted a pro-Palestinian logo that they that they then took down of a uh, it was depicting a um, uh, paraglider, a pro-Palestinian paraglider with the Palestinian flag. Those are the first that was the first attack on a peace uh, concert on October 7th in Israel. I haven't seen a lot of police leaders apologizing for embracing Black Lives Matter, and I haven't seen a whole uh, a lot of them denouncing that depiction by Black Lives Matter Chicago. So the lines True. have been drawn. Police leaders need to get behind their cops because that ultimately means they are getting behind their law-abiding citizens. Most people aren't criminals. We've got to go back to recognizing that, denouncing the few and supporting the majority of Americans who just want to live peaceful lives and have enough cops in their communities to to answer 911 calls when they need it. Sure, we couldn't agree more here. Top talk with that statement. Um, Joe? 
Betsy, to, to wind it down, let me ask you a, a big question that touches on some of the things you just mentioned. Um, you know, America is going to be 250 years old in a few years, but we're at the mother of all crossroads, uh, the border catastrophe, rampant crime and urban collapse. Uh, as you mentioned, we're seeing a pro-Hamas movement in the streets of America itself. Um, does, does law enforcement need to take a, a, a have an expanded does it need to have a larger view of itself in the coming years like do we need to uh uh redefine law enforcement you know before the, the whole country just uh collapses well it is a big question every law enforcement officer in this country the the one of the first things they do when they get hired is raise their right hand and take an oath to the constitution of the United States. And one of the things that we need to go back to is understanding the role of the United States Constitution in American law enforcement. And we hear a lot now, and you're right, we are we are at a precipice in the United States where you hear politicians and activists talk about that the the Constitution is, uh, you know, it's fluid and it's uh, malleable and all that. The Constitution is the Constitution. You know, it is it is not to be uh, messed with. It is it is not a flexible document. And I think what a lot of law enforcement officers are pondering and, and we know this because, again, my husband and I travel this country and uh, talk to law enforcement everywhere is law enforcement officers now more than ever before, I think, are really pondering the nature, the constitutional nature of their job, of their duties. And and that is something that that, you know, in these coming times, every cop is going to have to really give some serious thought to we are not supposed to be political. When I got hired, we were told, keep your politics to yourself. And, and, and that stayed through the majority of my 29 years as a cop. Um, now, unfortunately, everything is political. And one of the things that I always encourage police officers in this country uh, to do when they're pondering who to vote for is don't look at the person, look at the policies. Don't vote against, in other words, your own interests as a law enforcement officer. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, it, you know, it, these upcoming elections that we have, we have one in November, and of course we have a big one coming up next November. Um, we're going to all have to make some tough decisions about how the United States is going to move forward. And are we going to stick with our constitutional promise as law enforcement officers? You're absolutely right. We, you know, we have to get back to the rule of law. Um, it's a bit of a paradox, too, because as, as a lot of Supreme Court justices have, or some have said over the years, the Constitution is not a suicide pact. Right. It, it has to, the Constitution has to be enforced. Um, but it has to be, you know, it, it has to um, contain its 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 own survival, right? It has to be a mechanism for its own survival. So, you know, somehow we got to get the message to cops 
uh, out there also that yes, you know, you, you guys, you could do what, you have a lot of discretion as far as enforcing the rule of law. You know, it's it's not what the left tells you that you know we got to take off the handcuffs. The Constitution gives you a lot of leeway in in keeping America and keeping the rule of law alive. Well, and I think a lot of cops saw during uh, the early months of the pandemic, um, they saw what it was like to be used by politicians. And uh, I don't I don't think I don't think that will happen again. Um, You know, when you saw those videos of cops having to shut down outdoor church services and handcuffing, you know, moms because they took their kids to a park. Um, You know, I've I always have people ask me, why did they do that? Well, because, you know, the people elect the politicians and then the politicians tell ultimately tell the cops what to do. Um, I think that woke a lot of people up to pay attention to what's happening locally. And I think it woke cops up to really understanding why the law enforcement system in the United States is uh, is supposed to be so decentralized. And I hope the American public realized that too. You know, that that's one of the best things about the law enforcement system in the United States is it is decentralized. It is run, you know, locally and by, you know, by city, by county, by state. And and I think a lot of people realized, um, including cops, why you don't want a solely a federal policing system in this country. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Betsy, do you, um, you, can cops, so there's about 800,000 plus law enforcement officers in the United States. Is there a way to, to make cops, uh, is there a way to unify cops without, um, without, without centralizing them, you know, without, without um, interfering with federalism? Is there a way to give, you know, every cop in this country a feeling that they're part of a, uh, a unified movement? You know, we are always going to have um, differences in in our and a lot of it's regional. You know, a, a, a cop in um, San Francisco, for example, is likely to have very different politics than a cop in central Florida. Um, but I do believe uh when with you know with shows like yours with social media with organizations like the National Police Association um i think we are uh coming together in a much more cohesive way again just to understand that and i think people saw that after um the death of George Floyd, you know, you know, George Floyd, we can argue whether he was uh, murdered or not, but there were uh, police officers that were convicted in that case. And, but police officers, you know, all 800,000 of them were blamed by so many people for the death of one drug addict in Minneapolis. I think that woke a lot of cops up. I think that started 
with the death of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, a, a you know, a, a young gang banger who was trying to disarm a cop and got shot because of it. Um, again, that was one police officer and one bad guy. And, and that was one police officer, um, Darren Wilson, who didn't do a damn thing wrong, but still lost his career. And so did his wife, who was also a cop. Despite being exonerated, I think that woke a lot of cops up to start uh, thinking more nationally um, as opposed to, oh, well, that's not going to affect me because the actions um, and the reaction, I really should say the reaction of, um, you know, activists and dishonest media and things to to police actions around the country, um, those actions tend to endanger all of us, all of law enforcement. You know, let's not forget we had we had, you know, two cops uh, murdered in New York, five cops murdered in Dallas, Texas um, in the name of Black Lives Matter because of in part by a dishonest media and dishonest politicians. Um, but I. I, you know, I will say that I do think that's changing. I think cops are noticing. And so we are coming together more as that thin blue line. And I think our community members are joining us. I think that's what's so heartening. That's why the National Police Association is so successful, because it's citizens that make us successful. And uh, so that's what I would urge cops to 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 pay attention to what's happening um, nationally, because we all really do have to stand together with our communities because, because again, for the last three years, look at what's happening. The more cops leave, who gets killed? Our citizens, you know, homicides are up, robberies are up, crime is up all around this country. So we've got to support each other to ultimately support our communities that we're trying to keep safe. Very true. You know, what's sad too, Betsy is, um, you know, when a police officer is killed in line of duty, you don't see the outrage. You don't see the protests. You don't see the demonstrations. You don't see them shutting down streets in outrage of a police officer being killed in the line of duty. However, the other way around, they, they're always out there and excuse to just go and uh, demonstrate and cause havoc. And um, I'm not sure about uh, the town you, you're from, but in New York City, you need a, you need a, um, a permit to protest uh, or to have a demonstration. And lately, it seems like they're protesting without the without permits, and uh, they're not really being arrested uh, as quickly as they should. Well, and that's the thing. And, and you know, in most jurisdictions, you have to have some kind of a permit to protest. I mean, I was the crowd control bike sergeant. You know, we would have we would have, you know, the anarchists would come, you know, every year and and protest. Uh, you know, they basically protested capitalism. You know, they didn't like capitalism as they all pulled up in SUVs and with their daddy's credit card and stuff. But, uh, Mm. um, you know, if they didn't have a permit, we just immediately arrested everybody. And that was the end of it. You know, now you're right. There's all these pop-up protests and, uh, um, and we don't really do anything about it. Although I will say that we are, I think we're seeing a fatigue in people, you know, and right now there's thanks to Tucker Carlson, more information has come out about George Floyd and and how he really died. We just had right. a um uh, a police, you know, a video release of a traffic stop 
out in Georgia where a, a police officer had to shoot a, a man from Florida who just gotten out of prison. And, um, uh, you know, he was a he was a quote unquote unarmed black man. But now as the and Benjamin Crump, of course, is on the ground there trying to, you know, stir everything up he can. But you're not seeing that gain a whole lot of traction because I think people are getting they're getting weary of that. And I'll tell you what, the National Police Association, we did polling with Rasmussen a couple of years ago about Mm -hmm. the uh, the violent riots, the violent anti-police riots. And uh, most people in this country they wanted all the violent riots, the 260 violent riots uh, in the name of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and Antifa. They wanted them investigated just as rigorously as the four hour riot on January 6th at our nation's capital. So I think I think there's a fatigue and people are trying to say, wait a minute, we can't have this two tiered, three tiered justice system. And we're tired of being lied to. I think people are paying attention to what's happening. Yeah, no, I I, I do agree with you there. Uh, Betsy, switching gears a little bit. Along with your husband, uh, you created the Street Survival for Women seminar and also the Win in Mind for Women, Career and Technical Survival for Women in Law Enforcement. Why don't you tell us about that? So my husband is is a very well-known police trainer in... uh, in our profession, his name is Dave Smith. And, you know, you can find him on police one and, and, uh, office.com and lofts or other websites. And, uh, but he created a character called uh, JD Buck Savage back in the eighties. And that catapulted him into a, an international training career. And, uh, so when he and I were working for the law enforcement television network, who eventually bought another training company called caliber press, we created a class called uh, Street Survival for Women, and we morphed that into a class called The Winning Mind for Women, because what we do is, you know, we have done a great deal of research on uh, gender differences. In other words, the differences between men and women and how that affects how we communicate, how we fight physically, how we shoot Um all of those things, you know, you hear a lot of talk now. Uh, go, in fact, going back to our discussion about recruitment, um, you you hear a lot of talk about we need to recruit more women into this profession. That's a great idea, but we can't lower standards to do that. What we what we believe um, we need to do is understand the differences between men and women. So one one of the one of the differences that we talk about a lot is uh, women are natural communicators. So why not use that when we're talking about de-escalation and things like that? Um, so we have a lot of fun. I travel uh, around the country and and we teach the winning mind for women. We you know we talk a lot about officer survival and leadership. We also have a class that's morphed out of that cl- class called the truth about gender differences, where again, we teach police leaders and police trainers the differences between men and women which I never thought would be a controversial thing to talk about until about the last year. So, <laughs> so that's a pretty fascinating uh, twist in our, our training business. But I was even taking that into uh, that truth about gender differences into the Pentagon. I was going to the Pentagon uh, two or three times a year until this current administration um, wow. to talk about that. I, I, I just taught in Tbilisi, Georgia, um, 
a portion of that winning mind for women class. I also taught a class about police in the media. Um, if, if folks don't know where Georgia is, it's uh, very close to Ukraine and Russia and Kazakhstan. And, uh, um, so we had police officers, female police officers from that region. And it was pretty fascinating to have Russian police officers on one side of the room and Ukrainian police officers on the other yeah. side of the room and uh, and see the differences in policing from that region to, you know, the United States. To Belize, Georgia, a big historical trivia question there. What uh, what infamous what infamous leader was grew up in uh, Tbilisi, Georgia? Anybody know? No, but I can tell you that Tbilisi, Georgia is the birthplace of wine, and that's why I'm going to go back. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Also, <laughs> also the birthplace of uh, Joseph Stalin. Just for I did know week. that. You're right. You're right. They <laughs> yes, actually, yes, yes. in 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 uh, talking to the Georgians, we got into to quite a discussion about that. And I'll I'll tell you, um, when I I gave a keynote on International Women's Day talking about police and the media, and I was I was talking about how the American media, I gave them very different instances of how they just flat out lied about police officers, just absolutely lied. Mm. And I had a bunch of the Russian police women come up to me afterwards and ask me if those journalists um, who lied about American law enforcement were still in prison or had they gotten out. And it it wow. really, it really highlighted the again going back to the constitution right it it really highlighted the differences in our uh not just in our current systems but in our history right sure sure hey betsy can you tell the audience uh if they wanted to get involved with the national police association how to go about that absolutely so we encourage everybody to go to nationalpolice.org that's nationalpolice.org we also have a wonderful facebook presence and a fantastic presence on x formerly known as as twitter um our twitter handle on uh our handle on x is at uh, nat police asos a s s o c and um i'll tell you what our our twitter our ex is just filled with fantastic articles, breaking news about law enforcement. And um, we also have a terrific YouTube page. I have a show called the NPA report and that airs uh, every Sunday morning on uh, the streaming network, the first TV. It also airs on Pluto and direct TV. Um, it's called the NPA report. And uh, it's just, I have all kinds of just interesting people and, and police leaders. I my last guest uh, last week was uh, a guy named Jason Jones, who is one of the foremost border experts in this country. And uh, we talk about all kinds of different things. So go to nationalpolice.org and you can see all the terrific things we do. And you can find out where our mobile billboard is going to be next. Sounds great. Sounds great. Looking forward to seeing you back in New York City with that billboard. Uh, Sergeant, Sergeant Betsy Branagh Smith, thank you so much for being our guest today on Cop Talk. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to Cop Talk and you can also follow us on Twitter at Cop Talk WABC. That's at Cop Talk WABC. Until next time, everyone be safe out there. Thank you.
This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 